following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Coming up on the program, we have our therapist panel in studio. Sandra Reich, Rebecca Putterman, and Stefan Bensusen will be joining me. We're going to talk about depression, stress, burnout, all of these. What's the difference between those three? What to do about it? And the impact on relationships. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your calls and texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion now at 514-790-0800 or 514-800. Don't forget, you can always uh, reach out to me by email, laurie at drlaurie.com. Some people send me uh, Facebook messages. I prefer to get them via email, though, so just letting you know. So I got this one uh, through Facebook. Uh, Hi, Dr. Laurie. After my brother's wife left him, my brother has been talking to a girl on Facebook from the U.S. She works, and now she is asking my brother to send money to some lawyer she claims she's known for years and we know anything about him and I'm trying to tell my brother not to send money to anyone who he does not know well what do I do I listen to your show every night so I wanted to share this even though I I responded to this person directly but I wanted to share with everybody because this is a situation that uh, does happen I've heard about it uh, on numerous occasions from people who get catfished that's the term so especially on Facebook I get I also uh, people reach out to me people I have no idea who they are who say uh, hi or whatever they try to engage you in some conversation as if they know you but of course they don't anyway they're they're looking for bites right they want you to 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 to, to bite, to nibble on the, uh, on the lure there. Um, and what ends up happening is they develop sometimes quite elaborate, what seems like a relationship online. So you never meet the person. You don't even know who the hell you're talking to because that picture could be anybody really. And uh, they establish a relationship back and forth, back and forth. And the other person, um, you know, so starts to say things like, I love you, I mean, whatever it is, it's like, it feels like a romance, even though that they've never met in person. And then eventually they, little by little, once they feel they've gained your trust, they start asking uh, for money. Uh, they'll start saying things like, oh, um, I need, you know, I want to get my papers and I have to pay my lawyer or I'll pay you back. Whatever it is, I've heard like a hundred different stories of different reasons why uh, people will ask. And of course, then uh, you get duped into sending the money because you think this person really loves you and you've established a real rapport with them and you feel like you know them because they've shared all kinds of information, which of course may all be not, not true information. And then they end up getting all kinds of money from you. As one texter wrote, con artist. Yes, reminds me of the uh, Dirty John movie as well, the series, uh, the the true series. We talked about it last time on the program, and uh, it's quite scary. But they they pick people who are vulnerable. So you talk about, and you mentioned this, right? My his wife left him, left him vulnerable, and uh, you know he connected to some stranger 
on his Facebook. He doesn't know who it is. It wasn't like it's a friend. It's some person from the U.S. who has no idea who it is. But that's how they just throw it out there and they hope somebody will bite. Listen, I've gotten like uh, naked pictures from people who think I, I'm, I'm actually going to do something about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to call you because I got this really nice picture of your junk. Like, I don't think so, right? It's a, just another form. Uh, anyhow, so yeah, con artist for sure called, uh, you, you, basically the, your brother's been catfished. That's, uh, that's the term. All right, here's a question I got by email. My wife and I are in our mid-30s, and both of us lead professional lives. We have two children. She and I are both attracted to the thought of interracial sex, mainly on her part. My guilt is that I am attracted and actually turned on by the idea. So I'm not sure, like, why you're feeling guilty if both of you share a similar fantasy, so you're 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 talking together about this fantasy that you both share. I'm not, I'm not getting where the guilt comes in in terms of like guilt is usually an indicator that you're doing something wrong or immoral or something like that. Uh, as long as the two of you can speak openly about sex and and both of you agree to the parameters of your relationship, then you're not doing anything wrong. And from what you're telling me, at least at this point, it seems only to be a fantasy. And there's certainly nothing wrong with expressing a fantasy uh, out loud with each other. You may not ever act upon it, but you may, you know, oftentimes when there's a, when fantasy is used in a couple, it's, it's very descriptive. So it's a little bit different than like dirty talk, but it, it becomes some descriptive thing of what you would like to do. doesn't mean you actually want to do it in real life, but somewhere in your fantasy life where you control everything. Acting out a fantasy though is a whole other story. Um, because when you do or if you do, you're going to have to think about how you might actually feel in real life seeing your partner with someone else and what other, and many other issues, by the way, that can come up. Like how do the both of you handle jealousy? What will be, if you do it in real life, what are the rules? Like uh, is it one is watching or one or, or you both have to be involved? Like you really have to talk out the scenario with the potential – um, feelings or emotions that may come up. But of course, you can't predict all of that. So th this is where sometimes it can be uh, somewhat dangerous, but you need to do a lot of talking about boundaries together before you even think about taking this kind of fantasy into the, uh, into the real world. So, uh, it's all, people can fantasize, doesn't mean they actually want to do it, but if you do take it out of the bedroom or out of the head, out of your heads or out of the, the conversation, uh, and into real life, then think about all, like just make a list of all the potential issues that uh, could come up. Remember, you're inviting a third person into your relationship. You don't have control of the third person, right? How that person feels, how that person will act, how that person will behave afterwards. Uh, you don't know in terms of attraction. Uh, what if? What about the potential of getting attached to someone else? Will this person be a regular person? So there's a lot, a lot of factors to uh, to consider in this. All right, one, uh, I'll end with this question. 
uh, the most common question I get here probably on passion. Uh, Doctor, I've got the problem of premature ejaculation. I can't even stay for a minute. I think it's because of the frequent masturbation I did for years. I'm not yet married. Please tell me how to get back uh, to or the normal. So oftentimes men will develop like rapid ejaculations because of masturbation and masturbation under hurried conditions. So it's like when you're young, you want to get it done quickly because you don't want to get caught. You don't want to get caught by your parents. You don't want to get caught in the bathroom too long. You don't want somebody knocking on the door. So you anyway, you end up doing it really quickly and then you end up learning how to ejaculate quickly. So you can use masturbation to train yourself to extend the ejaculation time. The first thing you have to do is be aware of the point of no return. You know, it's that moment when you feel that orgasm is inevitable. So you really, really have to pay attention to what you're feeling in your penis. Absolutely. So really what you would want to do is you would stroke until you, until just before that point, then you would stop. Just stop for a few seconds, take a couple of deep breaths, then resume again, and then you repeat the process multiple times. For the record, though, the majority of men ejaculate between two and five minutes of penetration, just so you know. And another thing I want to add is that a good lover will spend time on his partner with foreplay which is far more important for a woman's orgasms uh, than lasting, you know, 20 minutes or, or what have you. Coming up, the therapist panel joins me, and we will talk about depression, stress, burnout. Are they all the same? How are they different? And what is the impact on relationships? Your relationships on the line. Connect with Dr. Lori now. 514-790-0800. Passion. News Talk Radio. CJAD 800. 15% of the world's adult population will experience depression in their lifetime. That's a whopping number of people. Uh, Tonight, it is our therapist panel. Once a month, I bring together uh, therapists, uh, different, uh, who work in different areas, but nonetheless, all therapists uh, who uh, can share their expertise with all of you. And we we talk generally about mental health issues rather than specifically about sexuality or specifically about relationships. Although tonight, I do want to talk about depression. I want to talk about the differences between stress, burnout. I also want and talk about the impact on relationships. And especially if you've experienced depression or you've had a partner who've experienced depression, uh, I would love to hear from you at 514-800. Tell us uh, how you coped with it and what was the best help that was out there? What were some of the lessons that you learned uh, from all of this? Uh, Joining me in studio is Sandra Reich. She's a psychotherapist and the uh, clinical director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression. We have Rebecca Putterman, who is a psychotherapist. Uh, Stefan Ben-Susan is a health psychologist and the founder of Psy Santé, and me, a clinical psychologist specializing in sex and marital therapy. Welcome Hi. back. This is the original gang. So happy to <laughs> have you all uh, all here. So here. I think the f- I mean, we could talk certainly about the stigma, although that is one thing that's been in the news a lot, talking about the stigma of mental health. So I don't want to spend too, too much time on that. But I do want to talk about some of the e- either the early signs of depression so that people can be aware and 
the fact that we're all stressed out. Like, I don't know how many, like everyone I speak to, they're all busy, 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 busy. There's so much busyness and many people are experiencing a lot of stress. And But there's a difference between being stressed out, being tired, being depressed. We need to make a, a, a distinction. So who wants to take that up? Because I know we, we all deal with depression here. So let's go. Males first. Nay, for a change. Wow, 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 a special day for men. That's right. Well, considering you're the only one in here, but okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, listen, I think there's no there's no surprise. Everybody gets stressed from time to time. It's normal that we, we feel down at times. We, our mood can go up and down and we can have bad days like anybody else. Um, it's just a question of how much is this downtime interfering with our everyday functioning? How much, how long is this lasting? How down do we feel? Are we able to still get to work, get the kids up, get, get moving, get functioning? Or does it take over our mind, our mood, or we can't cope anymore? We have to stop what we're doing. Uh, you know, it depends on how much space it takes up in our in our life. So Stress mm. is normal. We all need stress. Stress is functional. It helps us to get moving in life. But if there's true. too much of it, sometimes it, it takes over, right? It's like anxiety, right? A little bit of anxiety is healthy. Too much of it is uh, debilitating. That's right. Exactly. Sandra? Well, you know, it's funny. You were talking about importance and you know, being so busy and why people are talking about it all the time. And I, I just find that we tend to say we're so busy as a new badge of importance that means your yeah. life you're really important if you're busy i'm really <laughs> really busy means you're really really important and we're getting a little addicted to that so that's part of what leads I'm into guilty. some of the burnout mm-hmm. i am too i was just saying to everyone right. how busy i am but we have to be careful about that well but what's interesting is and i don't know like i'm very busy and i have like four or five different jobs that i do but i don't feel stressed right so even though i c- my days are packed and some days i can work 16 hours in a day some days a little less i fa- you know i found i managed to find a balance by by taking care of myself in, in different when you're ways good. so but there's a difference between being like tired because you've had a, a long day versus being stressed like overly stressed or overwhelmed which yeah. i guess is the uh, is the uh, another word for stressed really absolutely right? Absolutely. It's the first sign of the stress starting to build up. You said at the end of the day, if you've done a big day and you feel satisfied, yes. you're good. Right. But if you're feeling like, oh, I can't breathe, not so good. Right. It's that feeling like yeah. you can't, you can't, it's choking you. The yeah. day's choking That's you. That's it. Rebecca? Yeah. Uh, when we talk about stress or burnout or depression, I mean, for me, one of the first few signs is uh both of you had all three of us have mentioned four of us have mentioned uh it's when it causes the distress in our functioning and what i've noticed when i'm working with people that one of the first symptoms or signs that i say uh oh let's be very careful is sleep so if people for me are not take are not sleeping well whether they're ruminating through the night right. or whether they're overthinking things or whether they're just not able to catch a good 6 7 hours of sleep then I begin to worry for them, whether it's stress, burnout, or depression, uh, because I think that that's one of the biggest things between, you know, between physical health, physical activity, eating well, and sleep. I'm noticing more and more when people lack sleep, I'm beginning to see symptoms of mood changes and inability to function, and the level of distress is very high. You know, what's interesting is I've seen clients, for example, who are, who I would categorize as burnout, and I know the symptoms are similar, but they are not 
sad or hopeless or any of those emotions, but yet when it comes to work, they cannot cope anymore when it comes to work. So they lose sleep over work. They lose um, focus and concentration. They lose focus and concentration at work. That's right. It, it's really work related. If you take work away from them, suddenly those symptoms disappear. So that's to me not depression as the depression that we know. Of course, you can work with people and you can stop them from working, but if you don't give them the strategies to go back to work, to handle the stress at work, it kind of, the same thing will happen again. So that's also important. Like I know a lot of people will take a, a, a medical leave yeah. for burnout, but they need the strategies to go back because the same boundaries. boss will be there, yeah. the same workers will be there, mm -hmm. the same amount of work will be there. So just taking a break may not be enough. So if you're experiencing that kind of burnout from work, make sure that you do get help to develop strategies, develop boundaries uh, appropriately for that. This is our therapist panel tonight. Sandra Reich, Rebecca Putterman, and Stefan Bensusen in studio. All therapists, all of us are uh, here to, uh, to help you out at 514-800 if you want to text us if you want to talk to us 514-790-0800 is there anything that you are struggling with that you want some help with we are uh, happy to uh, to help I, I just in terms of what you were just saying that when someone does have burnout and it's specifically stress related to work very similarly with grief we see the symptoms yes. being very similar to depression but really if we if the person who passed away comes back, then it's not depression at all. Right. There isn't that sense of hopelessness. It's not the same thing. But people will often see it as symptomatic to depression. Right. And I, I work with a lot of people who might get medication for... For grief. grief. Well, they've lost someone they love, and then they're on antidepressants. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You no, can feel it. Time. Yeah. You're supposed to feel it. It's okay because there's an adjustment period when which, we have to deal with. Which sounds to me like grief doesn't necessarily... Uh, equal the 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 chemical imbalance in the brain. Stefan is a health psychologist. You would know about this. Could you tell us about that a little bit? When we're going through grief, um, there's a lot of different things that are going on. Depression creates a different set of emotions, but also like the hormones that are released when we are feeling depressed. We're looking at serotonin, for example, as mm -hmm. the main, it's not really hormone, it's more of a neurotransmitter, neurotransmitter that gets, I mean, yeah. that gets mm -hmm. diminished and dopamine as well. So those are the two big ones. Dopamine is when we actually lose pleasure. When we're in a situation where we just don't feel the same kind of level of excitement or arousal, that's a sign that we're missing dopamine. Um, and what tends to increase dopamine, interestingly enough, is social communication. Being in a situation where people are laughing or people are talking to you and you're feeling responding, you're, you're feeling like you're connected to people, that will actually increase our sense of dopamine. That isolation, that feeling like I don't belong or no, there's nobody here for me, our sense of dopamine diminishes and our arousal and our pleasure in life diminishes. Right. So connection drops. Serotonin is the one that regulates thoughts and you know, rational thinking and positive thinking, and we're able to stay calm and relaxed during that time. So those are the two major ones that we look at. Okay. Uh, and antidepressants, for example, medication, are the ones that we use to kind of increase the levels of those, um, those neurotransmitters, those neurotransmitters right. in the brain. We have uh, Valerie online. Hi, Valerie. Hi. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm Pleasure. all right. Good. What can we... I'm actually um, interesting. You guys mentioned grief because I'm, I'm, I'm actually in grief right now. Okay. Um, over a friend I had fallen out with 
um, it's not what I told the guy on the radio who asked what I want to talk about, but it's with the focus on relationships. I, I lost touch with her for years, and I learned that she passed away about a month ago. Oh, and, sorry um, to hear that. She's very young, uh, in 19, born in 84. So wow. She's very young. Wow. Um, it's been a shock to a lot of people. And on top of that, at one of my um, unaccredited field of studies, very small community. The, the certification means something in the field, and um, it's a very the school is known across the world. And there's just like total misunderstanding. Uh, in my day to day, people come to me for guidance for my own field things mm-hmm. that I've studied, you know. And uh, I tried something else. I'm taking like a science, and I, it's just I don't know. I felt are you really fine? Not, wasn't going well, you know, like it just on a personal level, it was just like I really, there's the age difference, there's financial uh, status difference between me and very small class. So there's a lot of factors that are causing yeah. you stress. Is that compounded? On top of a chronic illness, you know, uh, right. and, and, and being a caretaker and just like the, the hurdles of life. And you I, know. Valerie, it would help you to talk to somebody. I think we'd all agree here that there could be uh, a lot that can be uh, worked out with a therapist and giving you some some coping strategies for all of this because this is uh, this is a, a lot for one person to handle. Clearly, Valerie, thank you very much for calling in. Fortunately, we have to uh, run to our our newsroom. Thank you so much. Uh, and look, I think what Valerie's experiencing, a lot of people experience, and it, it's it's the compounding of all these all these stressors. We'll continue our discussion on mental health issues, depression, burnout, stress, uh, even grief as a form of, uh, of depression. Sandra Reich, Rebecca Putterman, Stefan Bensusen in studio uh, answering your questions and responding to your texts. Straight talk that's all inclusive. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Tonight on the program, our therapist panel, Sandra Reich, psychotherapist, and she's the clinical director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression. We have uh, Rebecca Putterman, who is a psychotherapist specializing uh, also in anxiety and depression. Stefan Bensusen, a health psychologist, founder of uh, Psy Santé in the West Island. And me, clinical psychologist specializing in sex and marital therapy. So you've got... Uh, Four therapists in here to help you out. If there's any mental health issues you want to deal with, you can ask us. Otherwise, uh, join our conversation. We're talking about depression. We're talking about uh, stress, burnout. What are the differences? I also want to talk about the impact on relationships because many people get into a depression and they're, they've got a partner, they have family. How does the family cope? I know for some it's, it can be really difficult because they're watching their partner lay on the couch, not being able to get up, not being able to do some of the daily living things. And so a lot of the responsibilities might fall on the other person. And it instead of having a lot of compassion, they grow resentful. And like so many emotions are there in terms of trying to deal with that because not only do you have a partner whom you love who's suffering, but you're suffering from watching that suffering and from taking on added responsibility. So I'm wondering how, uh, you know, how do you guys deal with this and, and talking to clients about this and what, what kind of wisdom do you want to share with our listeners tonight? Sandra? Well, I have a lot to say on this. I'll, I'll try to keep oh, it brief. Oh, please. 
First of all, uh, the research shows us that the strongest emotion in the household runs the household. Mm-hmm. That's a big sentence. The strongest emotion in the household runs the household. So I'm really big on often saying with couples that you have to be careful about what's your business. There's a lot of things that are not your business in a relationship. Your husband's eating too much ice cream. It probably isn't your business. Right. However, <laughs> depression affects the whole household. It's your business. That's my line on that. So if it's going to affect the whole household, you want to get it treated. And if it means saying, look, I need us to go in because this is affecting me, then that's what you do because it's going to impact everyone. It's like a bad flu and it's going to affect the whole household. All right. That's my thought. Good one, Sandra. Thanks. (laughs) Um, Short and sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was so Even long. though you had so much yeah. to yeah. say. Uh, no, you I can think... add, by the way, after that, Sandra. Yeah. You can go yeah. back around. I was rushing. I was <laughs> rushing. Uh, ideally, it would be everyone go in and get help and support when someone has depression. But we also know sometimes there could be an identified person who's not dealing with their depression. Right. And, you know, I always say to people, if you had two broken arms and two broken lungs, we wouldn't expect much from someone who couldn't do much. Right. And with depression, we don't really understand it as well. As much as we say, you know, people are talking about it more. I still think people, especially in relationships or in a family, lose patience because of the expectation. Right. And I I think, you know, like an organization like Emmy Quebec has wonderful support groups for partners of people with depression or any other mental health issue. And I think, you know, it, it is a family issue. You know, I think if your husband, wife is eating too much ice cream and then it's going to make them extremely overweight and then tired and not able to do anything that's affecting, but we all own our own Right. Emotion, and we just have to be patient through the process. And but what, hope. If a, what if a partner refuses to go get help? Yeah, no, well, that's where you eventually do lose tolerance for mm-hmm. the person, and that's where you go get help. And then, if it, it, you know, for me, if it ceases to work and that person refuses over and over again and it's long standing, well, then it's a decision people have to make. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's if you're trying over and over and over again to right. get them to get help because it's not. true if right. the depression is there it's can have a cloud over the home you know so and you want to also you've got to save the home yeah in many ways because yeah. i always say depression can be contagious right so like anxiety is contagious right. yeah so Very. you can't catch it like a virus but being around people who are depressing and who are hopeless and helpless and have a lot of despair and they think negatively well that colors our perception of the world doesn't it mm. It does, it does, but it, it can also be so frustrating for the mm-hmm. others to say, "Come on, like look, look, look what we have. Everything's so good. Like, what do you have to be depressed about?" But the, and and this is where the lack yeah. of understanding of what depression actually is. It's not about life circumstances. Sometimes, yes, like you have, you know, a grief response can look like depression, or a, a, a work burnout can look like depression. But when it's when you have quote unquote, no reason to be depressed, right? And this is what I think it can be so frustrating. And I think we have to remember who's suffering the most, the person with depression. That's right. You know, so it's always like I tell people, like they're suffering tremendously. You at least get to walk out of your house. You get to have a break from it. They're consistently ruminating or worrying and sad and not feeling any hope 
rather than despair. So one of the best approaches is bringing in the family or at least the partner when mm -hmm. treating uh, somebody with depression, right? Yeah. I mean, even the DSM says that the depression can be assessed by somebody else's perceptions of you because right. we're not always able to see it in ourselves. Right. So I hear this all the time. I can't get my husband or wife to come in and admit they have depression. I really am big on thinking why not say, look, you may not think you're depressed, but something's going on here that's impacting me. Mm -hmm. So please come in and support me. And then I'm with Rebecca. If my partner is not willing to come in and support me, we have a problem. Right. That's a problem. Yeah. But often that works because you're taking the spotlight off the person because sometimes, especially when it's male depression, they're not that comfortable to acknowledge that it's depression. Male mm -hmm. depression and female depression can be quite different and manifest quite differently. How? Can you talk a little well, about that? Well, for example, like women, when they're depressed, tend to talk to their friends and eat lots of junk food. And <laughs> men would rather talk about anything else but depression. Often it comes across as anger or irritability. It's, you know, right. can show itself very differently. So it's not lightly that a male is going to say, yes, I'm feeling really down and blue. Let me call up my buddy and talk about it. This is, we're making global gender stereotypes, of course, but... Mm -hmm. You For that, that reason, we have to, I think that it really does become at least a couple issue, if not a family issue. And uh, Rebecca, you brought up addiction. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in males, you'll see addiction, you'll see which might be masking right. depression. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Which we see often. And guys okay. also, guys tend to feel more hopeless. They tend to be self-loathing. They tend to be aggressive towards themselves. They'll take it upon themselves or they'll feel like they have to carry the family but they'll, they'll hold it in, they'll keep it in, but they won't talk about things. Whereas women are much more easier to be able to complain about what's going on, what's, what's going, what they're feeling, and they'll tend to feel a bit more guilt, a bit more shame. Uh, they'll turn to food more than men in general when they're feeling sad. So there's a difference, you're right, Sandra, there's a difference in terms of depression in men and mm -hmm. women. Right. And that affects partners in different ways. So someone, it's not just someone who's depressed and can't get out of bed. There's different masks and different disguises to depression. And, and let's not just like identify it as depression equals not being able to get out of bed right, it exactly. can it can sh it can still be there there are also degrees yes, of absolutely. depression so Mild, we, we need uh, to yeah. you can be completely functional and look like you're fine mm -hmm. and still be quite depressed which is why it's the invisible yeah. illness right mm -hmm. and nobody understands it and people say oh you, what do you what have you got to good, be depressed right? about what do you which does, doesn't tend to work socks, that you doesn't know? tend to work of course that right. doesn't work right. no 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 uh, this texter wants to know what if you produce too much dopamine. Mm -hmm. Stefan, what would you say? So although it sounds like a good thing, right, when dopamine is related to pleasure and connection and bonding, we want to have more of that, which is good, but actually excesses can actually cause um, psychosis, mm. where you can actually be out of touch with the world and out of touch with your body and stuff. So um, in moderate levels or a little higher than levels, it can actually cause us to be very speedy, like a little bit of an ADHD kind of symptom. Mm -hmm. Can cause this problem with restlessness and insomnia and speedy talking and speedy thinking and a little aggressive sometimes. Uh, it's it's you know in in very severe cases it's linked with schizophrenia. Oh wow! So we don't want to necessarily have too much dopamine either. It's always a question of balance, isn't it? Uh, always <laughs> when it comes to mental health, absolutely. Uh, coming up, we'll answer a question about uh, general anxiety disorder. We still have time, so if you want to send in your questions at five one four eight hundred for our therapist panel, Sandra Reish, Rebecca Putterman, Stefan Bensusen in studio to answer uh, all of your mental health uh, questions. 
We strip away the stigmas every night with passion on CJAD 800. Our therapist panel tonight uh, in studio, Stefan Bensusen, health psychologist, founder of Psy Santé, Rebecca Putterman, who is a psychotherapist, and Sandra Rich, psychotherapist and clinical director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression. Me, I'm a clinical psychologist specializing in sex and marital therapy, and uh, we are all here to help you out. So here's a question for you. I suffer from generalized anxiety disorder, which appears to be getting worse as time progresses. I no longer seem to possess the same resilience and recovery ability I used to have to cope with even the slightest menial daily chores and responsibilities. It's beginning to feel more like a perpetual panic attack and or PTSD reaction as the fear has turned into an unspecified terror and hence nightmare. And although I keep hearing about the success of exposure and desensitization, in my case, such a practice only seems to worsen and intensify my fears and anxiety instead, thereby causing me to feel hopeless. Is there any other kind of natural technique that could help as opposed to medication or am I doomed? Well, um, first of all, uh, haven't found the right person. So we've got to find the right therapist for this person because I think that it definitely is extremely treatable. I think anxiety in general, there's two components that I want to bring up for this person to consider. One is that with anxiety to grow, something's being avoided, even if it's a thought in your head. So if you're avoiding something, dealing perhaps even with the anxiety, that's going to feed it. And then another interesting part about anxiety is repressed emotions have a very big relationship with anxiety, specifically anger. So if you're having anger and anxiety exist in the same part of your body, your sympathetic nervous system. So if you're having generalized anxiety, you'd want to talk with someone about things that are bothering you. Are they being dealt with and expressed? Because emotions that get stuck in your body often well up and turn into either anxiety or depression if you're lucky and disease if you're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stefan, want to add to this? Right. She was talking about exposure therapy. This is one of the tools that we use in, the, in cognitive behavior therapy to help people get overcome, to overcome their anxiety symptoms. But Like per specific, we're talking about specific fears oh, but, here, yeah, right? So right. If they're anxious about something, let's say they're afraid of, of uh, snakes or something, we'll, we'll expose them to pictures of snakes and we'll bring them to the pet store and we'll get them to visualize that. Mm-hmm. But we don't ever expose our clients to those traumatic situations before we teach them relaxation techniques right. Right. and before they learn how to manage their anxiety and feel that they have control of the levels of anxiety in their body. So they can rise their level of anxiety and they can lower their anxiety. And once they realize they have full control over what goes on in their nervous system, that's when we gently expose them, to, to, yeah, right. gently and carefully. But like Sandra said, they need the right therapist to be able to support them to do that. So you talk about uh, teaching, like how to calm yourself, how to, right. you know, so this is where meditation, where mindfulness techniques That's right. Uh, so there's work. relaxation. We always start with breathing techniques. These are the easiest, the simplest ones to learn, just a diaphragmatic breathing technique. Then there's a whole bunch of other relaxation techniques that we can use. And mindfulness meditation is a, is a wonderful tool to work on helping the person feel that they have control over their mind. Where does the thoughts go? Do they get caught in the future? Because anxiety is me thinking about what's going to happen or what might happen. So I'm not really in the now. I'm focusing on later as opposed to right here and right now. So training the person to understand the thoughts that are taking over and staying a little bit more present is really useful. Right. Uh, Another text says, could depression equally affect the entire family or other members, even in the case where you're not necessarily living together, but still in regular daily contact as well sure i mean the answer to that is 
Yes, if you Contagious. have a if you have a parent who's depressed, even if your kids are uh, not living with you, of course it it, it has an impact yeah. on all that, and they are going to need help in learning how yeah. to cope with, say, a parent, a sibling, somebody who is in their entourage um, who is suffering. Yeah, and sometimes there is genetic predisposition mm -hmm. to depression as well not just something situational or something that someone's developed over the years of not having good self-esteem or something happened and right, or like thoughts that they have about themselves mm -hmm. they don't feel good about themselves or they're never going to feel loved but without a parent necessarily having been depressed but it could be genetic or it could be something had happened or a thought that you get stuck with that you really have to undo somewhere along the line so sometimes so. it can be a, a person can be genetically predisposed yeah so if you look at uh, if you develop anxiety look in your family right mm -hmm. you, we often see that because we ask for family history often uh, and we see that there is anxiety or depression uh, in the family, is it, I wonder, is it the same gene, anxiety and depression? Who would know that? <laughs> well, the American Psychological Association now acknowledges that anxiety and depression are two sides of the same coin. Okay. Unless we're talking about thought. severe depression, depression is considered an anxiety disorder. Okay, so yeah. they re be and because you often see the two yeah. uh, coexisting, yeah. right? Reduce so the depression in someone. Often you'll see anxiety come up. Reduce anxiety, you'll often see the depression come up. Right, and this is where if you if it's in your family history, whether you had a parent who suffered from anxiety, and oftentimes undiagnosed, right? It's but it's the description that you get, like oh, my parent was like this, like this, like even though they were never diagnosed or never treated, they recognize it in other family members. And so uh, becoming aware that there may be a predisposition and a genetic uh, component might maybe get you to recognize it faster so that you can get help. So uh, what are the, can we talk about some of the early signs? Like at which point is it important for people to seek therapy? Sandra. Well, in a nutshell, when it's interfering with your life. I mean, if, if you have a fear of something and it's not interfering with your life, you're good. But if something starts to interfere with your quality of life, it's time to get the help. And what I will say about anxiety is it almost always gets better with treatment and it almost always gets worse without. Meaning mm -hmm. anxiety tends to generalize and tends to get worse. So uh, like the previous texture, though, it's about finding that right person who understands what's going on for you and has the tools that you need to really help you get out of this. Like Stefan was talking about diaphragmic breathing. That's a very important component. Learning these skills, we're all only as good as our last stress management technique. Mm. So we got to learn them and we got to practice them. It's not magic. Right. You have to practice. I think that's, a, that's the key. The therapy just on its own, going once a week, uh, talking for an hour if you don't practice the skills that are taught to you. Mm -hmm. uh, and work. thankfully, there's so much yeah. out there now, like with apps and things that can help you, right? Like mm -hmm. all the, remember, Stefan, you made those tapes with your voice, yes. like like leading people. Now you have apps for that. That's right. Right? So it's Very great. Helpful. You have like three-minute mindfulness uh, mm -hmm. breathing right. techniques or five minutes or whatever. So it's not like you need to learn major uh, new things like yeah. they are things we can all do like I love I have there's a mindfulness app that's literally a three minute breathing exercise mm -hmm. that just take just brings you to the present moment and just mm -hmm. you know relaxes you enough to be able to function for the next few hours and then again and again so some people who keep using that find it uh, very helpful so I think it's it's important to find the tools that are out there 
I've, yeah, I mean, it still blows me away to see how people are st- are just not breathing properly. They've mm-hmm. never been trained how to breathe in the right way. They're breathing from their chest when they're inhaling. This is chest that expanding outwards, and we know that when you breathe that way, it automatically sends a message to the brain that says, "I'm in danger." So guess what? The brain's going to react by sending all kinds of chemicals in the body to prepare you for this imminent danger mm-hmm. that never really actually happens, but you think it's going to happen. Yeah, I think getting people to focus on how they're breathing because right. when they're breathing from up here and you, you, you know, get right. them to put their hand on their chest and this is where their chest is going up and down rather than from their belly, from their belly. Makes, uh, makes, the a, makes a big difference in the interpretation of, of all of this. So, yeah. um, very And I impactful. think uh, as we're all saying, and one thing I learned also from the workshop I did with Stefan was uh, the mindfulness breathing is fabulous. And the more you practice it, the more you're able to access it when you're actually in a position of being like real anxiety mm-hmm. or real stress or real like, what am I going to do right now? So I think when we talk about therapy for all of us, it's work. You have to practice it. You have to do the work that the people are talking to you and, about. And genetic predisposition does not have to be your lot in life. Genetic predisposition right. does not have to be your lot in life. Right. So it's not inevitable. Even if your parents had anxiety and depression, there is still lots you can do, like Absolutely. the things we've talked about. Absolutely. Good. Well, on that note, on that positive note, uh, Sandra Rich, where can people reach you? Uh, you can reach us at our phone number, 514-777-4530, or our website, helpforanxietydepression.com. And that's, uh, yeah, the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression. Oh, just one last little text I think we have time for. Uh, I've suffered with depression since I was a teenager, experienced burnout 15 years ago, and never went back to that specific work- workplace, so never learned methods of reintegration. Today, due, due to meds, etc., I have no sex drive, and it has seriously affected my relationship. I want to turn life around. Uh, all you spoke about tonight resonates for me. Good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. And that's the point is that we can reach people. And mm-hmm. we know we are very much aware and know about people suffering and your suffering. And uh, there is help. So there is help. Uh, Sandra at the uh, Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression. Rebecca Putterman, your number, please. 514-402-5526. And Stefan Bensusen. I'm reached at 514-542-6888 or at psysante.com. Wonderful. And I can be reached uh, uh, through my website, drlaurie.com, or you can call uh, you can call me at 514-984-5910. Thank you all for uh, tuning in tonight. Thanks to our technical producer, Dave Maroney. You can uh, connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito. Coming up next on CJD, the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening, and remember to live your life with passion.